Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. Bud Black pitched 15 years in the major leagues. He won 121 games and he earned a World Series ring with the 1985 Kansas City Royals. After he got done playing, Bud managed the San Diego Padres for nine seasons and currently he's entering his fifth season as the manager of the Colorado Rockies. Hey, Bud, how are you? I'm doing well, Les. Great to be on. You managed only 60 games last summer, as did everybody else, but I'm guessing it probably felt like much more than that, considering the circumstances. How exhausting was it to get through those 60 games, what with the pandemic, the new rules that had to be enforced, just all the different things you had to deal with? Well, you know, guys, it was it was challenging for sure. You know, I must say that, you know, I'm proud of the players. I'm proud of the coaches, uh, you know, the support staff who did everything, you know, not only with the Rockies, but throughout baseball to, to get us through 60 games. There was a lot of things that we had to do different, you know, from the time we started, even back before the season started in what we called summer camp. And it was just, you know, something that players and all of us weren't used to. So the adjustment to go through the protocols and the guidelines and, and 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 do your job in a in a really a different way than what you're used to is challenging for the players and and all of us but i will say this the baseball was good the the play on the field was competitive and uh a lot of pride was uh exhibited with the players even though there were no fans we knew we were being watched on television but uh it was really a different animal for sure but uh, so much changes. It changes on a game-by-game basis in other sports, and I'm sure it's going to change this season in your sport. When you look back at the summer of the pandemic and the decisions you would make, I mean, what do you think worked? What what didn't? Uh, what in the sport would you like to see different now that it looks like we're going down that same road again to start this season? Yeah, the thing that stood out was, you know, the emotion, you know, that it takes to play this game daily interaction of, of players and staff and just the socialization aspect, you know, that was hard. Uh, you know, we, we couldn't really do that. Uh, you really couldn't celebrate a great deal, even post game inside the walls of the clubhouse, you know, after a good win, you know, the emotional ups and downs where uh, you might gather as a, as a team or just, you know, in little small groups to, uh, to talk to game that, that couldn't be done. So the socialization aspect, I really think, you know, we suffered from, and it was only 60 games. So going forward, and we're going to have to start here uh, pretty quick, you know, the 2021 season under the same guidelines and protocols and try to go through this, you know, in theory for eight months, unless something changes as we, as we go through the spring and summer, as far as some of the national guidelines and, you know, the protocols that are set down from MLB. But uh, we've been through it once, so we sort of know what's in store for us. But, again, I think the motion didn't really play out, and and that's a shame because, you know, professional sports, and I think all competitions, very emotional. But you're known as a communicator, a good communicator with your players and the rest of the staff. Was that communication hindered because of the pandemic? Did it keep you from doing what you normally do? How did it change the way you manage both off the field and in the dugout? 
Yeah, it did uh, last, you know, especially big team meetings or big group meetings or big messaging. We really couldn't do because, uh, you know, we were asked to socially distance inside, you know, our clubhouse or even in the dugout. You know, we couldn't have groups of people to huddle around and maybe send a message in the dugout. You know, even the even the coaching staff, you know, we're lucky in Coors Field we were, we have some space to hold some meetings where, you know, upwards to maybe 10 or 15 people uh, socially distance and conduct some meetings that we needed to do. But to get 20, 25, 30, 35 players, coaches, strength coaches, training staff, you know, upwards to 60 people in one room, uh, you know, we really couldn't do it. You know, the only place we could do it was out on, the, you know, maybe out on the field, out in the outfield somewhere. And even some of our practices uh, were inhibited because of some of the guidelines that were set in place about how many players we could have on the field at one time, uh, how many groups of people could be in the bullpen or, or be in the uh, indoor batting cage, you know, behind our dugout. You know, it was really restrictive and we adhered to it, which I'm sure all teams did. And it, it's made it difficult from, you know, just a natural day at the ballpark that we're used to of of players coming and going, the interaction, the uh, the talking to each other, the coaching, you know, I think was all compromised. I'm curious, bud, how things are going to be moving forward now, because, you know, we're doing this via Zoom. The media work can be, all be done via Zoom, but I know how baseball works. You want to be in the clubhouse. You want to talk to players. You want to be next to players. Do you think even covering a team moving forward will change, or do you think we'll go back to what we did for years? Well, you know, I hope that, you know, the media and the the people who truly love baseball and covering it can get back into the dugout, to get back into the clubhouse, to talk with players, to talk with coaches, to mingle with each other. Again, you know, the socialization aspect for the media, I think, is huge for the, you know, the everyday beat guys, the, the, you know, the everyday coverage that bloggers and and television crews take advantage of you know at the ballpark that was missed at least i missed it because i know that's such a big part of 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 our industry and 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 how we get our messaging out to to our fans and to to people across the world who follow the great sport of baseball so i hope it comes back vic i really do but uh from where we are right now presently it doesn't look like that's going to happen you know in the next a few months at least, and I'm hearing maybe not until the summer. But again, I mean that's going to be driven by uh, you know statistics and what we're hearing from medical experts on on where the pandemic is. So, uh, boy, do I hope that it, it comes back because that's just the way it should be. And I, I feel that way, and you know, for all sports as well. Hey, Bud, last thing, two part question: What did you learn about leadership during this trying time? And what did you learn about people during this time? Well, I'll answer the, uh, the the second one first about people. I think that in our game, and I'll make it specific to baseball or, or even professional athletes and people around the club, and I'll include uh, you know our training staff, our, our strength guys, our front office people, our analysts, you know everybody who's with the club on a daily basis. I mean, there was a there was a true commitment to follow the protocols to make the adjustments to the guidelines. And there really was a, you know, a mental toughness that was shown for, uh, you know, obviously the 60 games during the season and, uh, you know, what we had to do in, you know, an abbreviated spring training up in Denver. So, you know, the wherewithal and the, the resolve to, to follow 
and to take commands from MLB, to take commands from the medical experts, and really to, again, be responsible to each other was remarkable. As far as leadership, again, I think, you know, for all of us, we have to set the example of, of what to do and how to do it correctly. And again, I think, you know, the coaches and I, you know, we took instruction as well from, uh, you know, our medical staff and, and from MLB and to you know, sort of pass that along down to the players. Uh, you know, I think all of us in professional sports have, have, have played at one time or another, and we all, you know, feel the need for structure. I think uh, anybody in professional sports sort of wants to know what's going on. They want a structure to their day. And, and grant, it was given for sure. And we followed it. And I think from a, from a leadership standpoint it was just sort of to set the tone for, for that, but also try to keep a, you know, my point of view every day was try to stay positive about what we were going through. You know, don't speak negative of what we had to do, what we're going through because everybody was going through it and to always paint the picture of that there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? That, uh, you know, if we do what we do and, uh, you know, America sees that we're doing the right thing, then maybe they'll follow as well. You know, that's how I thought that myself and the coaches sort of viewed this to, you know, just set that example and be positive on a daily basis. Well, Bud, we wish you a much more normal 2021 season and, and a lot of success going forward. Really appreciate your time. Well, guys, thanks. Joined by Kyle Shanahan now. You know him as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers going into his fifth year as the 49ers head coach. And, of course, you remember Super Bowl 54 because Kyle took the 49ers to that big game as well. All right. So, Kyle, uh, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Les. Glad to be here, man. Sure. So, looking back on the 2020 season, a very odd season, not just in football but in every sport, uh, how exhausting was it? for you to get through the 16 games last year? What with the pandemic, the new rules that had to be enforced, uh, just all the different things you had to deal with, especially since you deal with a roster that is much, much larger than any other of the major sports, between 60 and 80 players at any one time, not to mention the hundreds of folks in the 49ers building. Um, It was tough, man. I mean, just like the whole year for everyone. I mean, my football season of 2020, I feel like, went kind of like how 2020 did for the rest of the world. It wasn't that, that enjoyable. Um, and it was definitely a challenge, you know, coming off that Super Bowl loss that we had and knowing the team we had, uh, we thought we had such a great opportunity to try to get there again and to go in it where you don't have an off season when you get to training camp and you have all these rules with, you know, we all went whatever it was from March to July, not seeing many people. And it wasn't until about two weeks before training camp that we actually realize like, oh my gosh, we are going to do this. And then, so you get everybody in who's not even used to being around people. So you're getting used to wearing masks, social distancing, how to run our meetings different, the way we had to practice. We had to wait like 14 days before we started. And then we only got two weeks really to do it where normally we get a month and to only get two weeks of practice when normally you get a month, let alone no off season, it was a little overwhelming for guys. And then you'd have a couple guys get, um, we had a couple guys get sick. Like I know we had Fred during camp and so he leaves for 10 days and you miss 10 days because of COVID and only a two week training camp. I promise you, you're not going to be ready for the season. Um, but it didn't affect us there yet. It was just the rules of it. So anytime someone had a hamstring tweak, all that meant was, all right, you're getting no practice, but you'll be ready for week one, um, which scared the crap out of me. Cause it was the first time I sent a team into a season where 
I personally felt like I didn't prepare them for the long haul of the physicality of what it is to be in the NFL. And it was showing by week two. We had so many injuries in week two that by the time we lost all those guys, it had changed. And it was like, all right, we don't have the exact same team as last year. we got to figure this out. And um, we battled that throughout the whole year. And the COVID didn't affect us much at first because once we got into getting tested every day, we got into the routine of everything. All we saw were people who were tested every day. So we got pretty good at it. But the injury bug hit us so bad. And by the time we got to about week eight, it was before we played the Packers on Thursday night, then COVID hit us and we lost about four guys, but we were already down about 15 to injuries. So it made it impossible to lose four more guys. And then after that, it got a little bit worse, but um, we weren't affected too much with losing people except for that Green Bay game until we got kicked out of our county um, and had to move our team. And that's (laughs) when it really became a pain in the ass. Kyle, it's been over a year. Uh, March 11th of 2020, I was at the Nuggets-Mavericks game when the NBA shut down, and then other sports started shutting down, and then most of the world shut down. And here we are into a year plus. When do you think normalcy will return to the NFL? When, when will things get back to what you're used to? Um, I think probably when the world does, which who knows if when that'll be. I mean, I think everyone has different opinions on that, and I'm definitely not the most well-read person on what's going on out there. Um, but hopefully when everyone has the vaccine and we can go back and not freak out on both sides and hopefully it'll get normal. I think it will be a little bit different this year, just like the whole world will ease it back into it, but I couldn't function for the first few months. And then I had to go to work and our work did an unbelievable job of providing testing of providing stuff that gave me a chance to go to work in a very safe environment. Not everyone has that stuff, but eventually people had to go back to work. I didn't have to until football season started. Um, So I was kind of lucky with that. But when I went back, I was nervous as can be just like everyone is because you're a product of your environment. And my environment has been four months of just being with my family, wearing a mask. And you're like, oh, my God, is this going to work? There's no way in hell. Like, you can't even go outside. And you know what? We did pull it off. And it was tough. It wasn't easy. But you start to realize, like, oh, this is really bad. But you can't function in it. And you, you just you have to adapt. And I think our country has adapted. I think we'll adapt more the more medicine we get and stuff and hopefully it'll go back to normal. But I know not every answer to everyone is like, Oh, just zooms work. Oh, just keep distance. Like, yeah, they help you get by, but over time you'll see why that doesn't work to me in almost every aspect of life. Kyle, what did you and your staff learn about yourselves, about leadership? What did you personally learn about your leadership style? Um, It changed a lot throughout the year, um, mainly in Arizona. You know, and the way our season was and just, you know, I think it's different in each situation. Like but we were, you know, our record was not what we expected it to be. And that was known early in the year how it was going different. And when we got to Arizona, I had to be there away from our family so long. And you're just stuck in a hotel room where you're not allowed to see each other either. It got a little depressing for guys. So it became a lot more of less of, hey, let's get this done. So we have a chance to compete on Sunday. It was more checking on everybody, making sure everybody was in the right mood. Like it it was, it was checking on mental health. It was stuff like that, that usually isn't going to pertain no matter how good your mental health is. If you don't know what you're doing to do an assignment, you're going to get embarrassed on Sunday. Um, So that usually goes with guys individually. But when you feel like the whole part of your team at practice and just being stuck in a hotel and not seeing anybody or your families, it builds up and guys can't concentrate as well. And that's why like at practice and stuff, there's, 
what helped us a lot, we started having competitions at the end of every practice in Arizona. And they were kind of just slapped at competitions to where um, we'd get two coaches. Uh, we'd get the D-line coach to race the O-line coach. And they do it with their shirts off and run 40s. And the whole player, like the players would act like it was the most entertaining thing possible. We had a couple of receivers go through the gauntlet drill that they, I mean, a couple of coaches go through the gauntlet drill that they did at the combine. Um, the last day we had our ops, our operations guys come out and do flip cup and chug a bunch of beers in front of the players just to like finish it off for the final day in Arizona. And it was crazy how much that stuff went, like just the camaraderie of some positivity and break the monotony and break the monotony. And I think it did loosen guys up and all right, here comes Sunday and let's just go have fun. And so it was about, when you're going through a depressing situation, you feel locked away from your family members. You also can't constantly have that pressure of the job and what that job really is. You, we really had to take that pressure off um, just to function. And that's not something um, I've ever had to do in my career. You, so you got to keep that pressure on because the pressure is real. And if you hesitate at all, people pass you. Uh, so that was different this year to realize, all right, that pressure, people can't handle it right now. Well, that's what can we focus on other ways? And I think it helped us at least compete on the field a lot better than it would have. Can you offer a little more clarity on just how rigorous a schedule you and your players had to keep? Because you didn't play in a bubble like the NBA and the NHL did, but there's only certain things you can do, certain places you could go. How difficult was that just living without seeing the world and continuing to do your job? I think it depends on where you're at. I think it was a lot easier for our players um, in terms of, there's not anything to do in our area. Like I I went to Denver over the summer and um, I thought they had the same rules as us, which they did. But I'm telling you, Shanahan's porch was a lot different than restaurants are out here. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's not much where to go. And so guys, and everyone's nervous to just go out anyways. And here was the only place you would go to where you knew every single person in this building didn't have COVID. And yeah, guys want to leave. And especially a 25 year old without a family, eventually they got to go cut loose and we just have an advantage here. There's nowhere to go. And you, you, and where if, man, that would have been, that was harder when we went to Arizona. That, that was our deal this whole year. And then we get to Arizona and we're staying in a hotel where we're not allowed to leave the hotel based off of NFL rules. We're not allowed to meet in person based off of NFL rules. Um, so I have a meeting room by myself. The coaches are next to me by themselves, and we still have to Zoom each other. Our team meeting is to everybody in their rooms upstairs. We can't leave. But if you look outside of our hotel rooms, there's a Dave and Buster's where everyone's going into. There's a Top Golf that everyone's using. There's all this stuff that we can't comprehend because we've been in our area where I didn't even know the movie theaters were open and there's one out there. And that, that got hard because uh, we had NFL rules. So it wasn't even a choice for people. That's why players got depressed too. You see the real world going on and you're like, man, where am I at in this? And that's what I learned kind of with me just traveling a little bit in June and July. Oh my gosh, it's a product. It's wherever you're at, it's going to affect how you feel. And um, that's why we had 32 teams and each team's in a completely different situation. And where I just go back to us, where you had 32 NFL teams, you had all basketball teams, which you do now. Um, but we were the only one in professional sports whose county would not let them stay there. And so that's what got weird for us, that we were being as safe as we could in the county. We we're pretty much the only ones who didn't have COVID. And we're making sure that, and if we did, we found out that day. Um, so it was, it was a different deal that obviously we were a little bit bitter over for a while, but I was proud of our guys how, once they realized that was a card we've been dealt, they just dealt with it, and, and we made the best of it. 
Well, hopefully we get back to some uh, normalcy here real, real soon. And uh, and good luck to you. I hope, uh, you know, from an injury standpoint, you guys have much better luck this coming uh, off season and the 2021 season. And I uh, really appreciate your time, Kyle. I appreciate it, guys. Fun. Good talking to you guys. Haven't seen you guys in a while. So anytime, man. Thanks, Kyle. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turned to because I know the Anschutz Campus, they really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer, and that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Less they've made us unstoppable, and they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We're joined now by Dr. Dawn Comstock. She is an adjunct professor at the University of Colorado School of Public Health in the Department of Epidemiology at the CU Anschutz Medical Campus, where she is a member of the Program for Injury Prevention, Education, and Research. She's earned her PhD in public health from the University of California, San Diego, and from San Diego State University. And in 2014, she was one of five experts invited by the Obama White House to speak at the Healthy Kids and Safe Sports Concussion Summit to address the growing risk of concussions in adolescent sports. Later, Dr. Comstock served on the Board of Scientific Counselors for the CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, where she advised on strategies for the prevention of adolescent injury and violence. Hello, Dr. Comstock. Hello, Les. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. And same here. So I mentioned you're a professor of epidemiology. Are sports injuries a disease or a disorder that can be spread or prevented? I know that's kind of a weird question, but I'm wondering your take on this. No, that's actually a wonderful question. So injuries aren't actually a disease uh, or disorder, but they are definitely preventable. In fact, uh, in the injury epidemiology world and the injury prevention world, our version of a swear jar is when someone uses the term accident because an accident connotates something that can't be prevented, can't be predicted. And we know that by studying the epidemiology of injuries, we can understand who is most likely to be injured, when, during which activities. And as soon as you can identify those risk patterns, you can develop targeted interventions that can prevent those injuries from occurring. This just jumped into my brain. There are so many sports injuries out there on every level to both genders. Would you categorize them as a public health hazard? So we understand in public health that we are never going to keep everybody 100% safe and disease-free. There are always some what we call endemic levels. Uh, There are always a certain number of people that are going to get influenza each year despite our best vaccination efforts. Those are endemic levels. And similarly, we realize that there are some endemic levels of injury and different sports have different endemic levels of injury risk. Full contact sports like football are always going to have higher injury rates than non-contact sports like track and field. That's okay. Our job as injury epidemiologists is to make sure that everyone is aware of the risk in each sport and that we prevent those injuries that are in fact preventable. All right. So before we began talking to you, we heard from Colorado Rockies manager, Bud Black, and from San Francisco 49ers head coach, Kyle Shanahan. We talked to them about how they dealt with the pandemic last year and how they're going to deal with it 
going forward, how it changed the way they go about their business, how it changed their leadership, and, and how sports might be changed forever, the lessons they learned. From your perspective in public health, how do you think sports will be different at all levels, professional, amateur, and school levels? That's an incredible question right now. Sports have done a, a, a much better job over the last few decades, actually, of addressing injury risk. For 15 years, I ran a large national high school sports-related injury surveillance system. I worked very closely with the National Federation of State High School Athletic Associations and their rules and sports medicine advisory committees. And when I started that 15 years ago, far too often we still had parents and even coaches and, and even some sports medicine clinicians who thought of sports injuries as just part of the game or the price you had to pay to play. And we've really been able to help shift that culture, that um, appreciation that injuries can be prevented. And we did that by using epidemiological methods. Well, ironically, now with this pandemic, the injury epidemiology methods that were utilized to help bring about some culture changes in sports injury prevention, they were all based on much older disease prevention methods. So it's, it's a little ironic and a, and a little full circle that now the sporting world is dealing with this infectious disease, this respiratory disease, this COVID-19 pandemic. To you, is there an obvious way to keep players and fans safe throughout this pandemic? So the way to keep players and fans safe is the same messaging that we're putting out to the general community. Get vaccinated as soon as the vaccine is available to you, as soon as you're eligible for it. In the meantime, Continue masking, continue social distancing, physical distancing, ensure items like good ventilation in the practice facilities and the competitive facilities, do health checks, symptom checks, temperature checks, and utilize testing and contact tracing. So pro sports are doing some of that really well. College sports are doing a little less really well, but but some things really well. Uh, high school sports are, are and youth sports are are struggling a little to do much of it well. <laughs> Doctor, I understand you were a bit rankled by the way some high school sports played out across the nation. Is that correct? Yes, Les. Unfortunately, although I've been a huge proponent of high school sports throughout my entire career, and I think they're incredibly valuable for our youth, it's been very concerning to me to watch how some high school sports programs have responded to this COVID-19 pandemic. One of the most interesting things for me in my role, both as an academic researcher that's focused on high school sports and now as a, a public health department um, executive director is, um, I, I don't know if you have kids or not, but there's a book called Give a Mouse a Cookie. I've heard of it. My kids are older. My kids are in their 30s. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's what we're facing, particularly with high school sports, that we didn't even have kids doing in-person learning and we had parents demanding that those same kids that couldn't go to school had to be able to go play their sport, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting concept. I mean, high school sports, school is the first word. And they're an extracurricular activity, which means that they're extra. Like learning should always come first. And now that um, across most of the country, sports were allowed to occur, great. I'm, I'm a huge sports fan. But then that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough just to let the kids play. Then parents had to be allowed to watch. Right. And there were limits on the number of parents and how close they could be, right? And then that wasn't enough. 
it had to be more parents and closer and you can't connect us for cohort purposes because that could been then prevent the kids from playing. And then, you know, this last week we saw what happened at the, at the uh, basketball game in, in St. Louis where it was packed stands, shoulder to shoulder, no masks on the great picture of everybody cheering. And as we try to return to normal, we have to recognize that high school sports, particularly they're almost mythical in terms of their place in society. Centerpieces of the community. Yeah, we always talk about how they instill leadership and you know all these under wonderful skills, teamwork. And yet at this point, rather than lifting up our communities, quite frankly, they're becoming a danger to our communities, right? If we have packed fans at basketball games that cause wide community spread, then schools will have to go back into lockdown. And those very sports that are supposed to be the centerpieces of pride and lifting the school up will actually be the detriment to school. It's, I, I'm a huge school supporter and I've always been in favor of everything for high school sports. And this is the first time in my career that I'm concerned that high school sports might be the downfall of us. And that's, that's just so crushing to me because I've always thought that they were so good. Let's talk about the college sports a little bit. Obviously, you're a big sports fan. You've dealt with a lot of athletes and injuries, et cetera. We've established that. But recently, in a couple of national articles, you came out as not a fan of the way some of the college basketball and football programs went about their business, the whole NCAA, as a matter of fact, and how they've played through the pandemic. Uh, in terms of keeping players and fans safe. So we've gotten through the college football season, shortened season for many programs. We've gotten through the college basketball season, barely some programs. And now the NCAA is announcing that they're going to have the NCAA tournament in a bubble in Indianapolis. Every game will be played in Indianapolis, and it'll be much like the NBA was played last year. They'll be tested on a daily basis, et cetera. So, Looking back on this um, and your criticism, were you right? Were you wrong? Was it somewhere in between? What do you think? Yeah, so um, I think my criticism was relatively well-founded. Uh, when you look, they, they got through a football season and they are getting through a basketball season. But at what price? How many, how many games were canceled? How many players were literally pulled out of action mid-game? Yeah, quite a few. You know, that, that just really emphasizes the point that it's impossible to play contact sports completely safely in terms of COVID-19. Um, there are many things that you can do to increase safety. Uh, and, and the NBA is an excellent example. When they had their shortened season completely in the bubble, they were able that there was not a single game canceled, I don't believe. And there were very few players that had any, even any concerns of positive tests or, or the need to um, quarantine. Uh, it was, it went very well. Yeah, you're right. None, none of the games were canceled. They were just moved. They were rescheduled, so, but they got all the games in. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And then this year when they moved to a more uh, expanded season and, and a non-bubble season, we've seen games canceled. We've seen players pulled mid game. So the NCAA is actually just doing it in reverse, right? They held their season. They were willing to tolerate 
the canceled games, the rescheduled games, the players not being available. They were willing to tolerate all that during the regular season. And now to ensure that the tournament goes off, you can't, it's too hard to reschedule games, cancel games, play games without the star players. So the only way to ensure a tournament goes off is to replicate what the NBA did and put them in a bowl. You know, more and more of us getting vaccinated now. Um, and, and we're hoping everything, including sports, returns to normal soon. But from a public health point of view, doctor, what will that new normal look like? What will the future of sports look like in your estimation? So I think there's several things. I think one issue is we've seen players advocacy at all levels from pros, quite frankly, all the way down to high school level on several different issues over the last year, Uh, social justice, voting rights, et cetera. And I truly believe that one result of this pandemic will be that athletes will have greater advocacy about their own health and safety. You think there's a way we've learned any lessons from this pandemic and, and, and we can apply them to prevent other kinds of sports injuries, such as concussions. I mean, can we extrapolate that? Yeah, absolutely. I think a great example is the NFL. You look at just how they improved over the course of their season, how they learned that they needed to do a better job than they had at the beginning about contact tracing and, and identifying exactly who was where within the facility when and how often different individuals were close to each other for what lengths of time. That increase in knowledge over the course of the season allowed them to finish the season with many fewer disruptions than what were happening toward the beginning of the season. Um, so that type of ability to understand the need to collect data, better data, understand what data points you need to collect, and then to analyze that data in real time and respond to it. That's a great foundation for improving athlete health and safety across the board in the future from both infectious diseases and from injuries. Dr. Comstock, we, uh, we appreciate the education and we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I enjoyed meeting you today. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today. 